is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. Rob's off today. I'm Chris Seedens. And I'm Charles Feldman. Barbie Oppenheimer. Hollywood is saved. Uh, or is it? Or is it? We'll go in-depth. Twitter, it's now X, we think. We'll get... Uh, into Elon Musk's rebranding of the popular social media giant. And we talked with the top economist about what's in store for uh, us the rest of the year when it comes to our money and our jobs. Okay, we start, though, with the twin successes of Hollywood so far, Barbie, Oppenheimer. Andy Draper is co-host of the podcast Off Script Film Review and is a staff member at SMU's School of the Arts. Andy, thanks for being with us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I don't really want to talk about Barbie and uh, Oppenheimer because I think people are going to see them regardless of what anybody thinks one way or the other. And God knows both of those films have gotten more than their share of publicity. What I do want to talk about, though, is there is some sort of sentiment in Hollywood, I think, that these two films and the success they've achieved so far in terms of box office might herald the final end of the doldrums brought about by the pandemic and begin a new phase for Hollywood. But is that really true? Well, it's definitely a big improvement from the the pandemic times, but we still have a lot of rebuilding to do. Um, Revenue isn't uh, hasn't approached pre-pandemic times just yet. It's probably going to take another year or two. Uh, but things are completely different from pre-pandemic times as well. Audience-going habits, how people spend their money on entertainment is wildly different. So Hollywood has to adjust to a new environment. There there have been some other blockbusters that have come out so far this summer, not the least of which uh, uh, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. Uh, what is it about these two movies that led to what we saw this weekend? I think there was just so much excitement and groundswell um, for new, I mean, I think just new properties, new ideas, uh, both wildly different movies uh, by uh, acclaimed directors, uh, just letting artists be artists and bring audiences something new and exciting. I think there's a little bit of uh, franchise fatigue. You know, this is the seventh Mission Impossible. It's the fifth Indiana Jones. It's another slew of comic book movies. Uh, I think audiences are, are ready for things that are fresh. Well, the audiences may be, but what about the studios? I mean, they have been, as you well know, more than reluctant to commission films that are genuinely original and i guess i don't blame them at some level they want to go for what they think is a sure thing but as you just pointed out what they thought would be a sure thing mission impossible and indiana jones while they're certainly not doing badly they're not doing what the studios had hoped they they would do so even though the audience may be willing to move into some new territory will the suits at the studios be as willing well, studios are always going to w- want to play it safe, and that's still going to mean a lot of sequels and remakes and just using properties that people are already familiar with. But you can't deny the success of these two movies, again, by what are essentially indie directors, uh, really bringing something new to audiences that, that they hadn't really seen before and, and really taking uh, audiences in new directions. Well, do you expect the studios will be pushing back some of their their other movies that maybe they had planned to put out this summer, try to maybe extend having some new content? Well, the, the actors and the writers are out. Some new content into future months. 
We're actually already seeing that. Uh, the film Challengers, uh, which starred, uh, stars Zendaya, uh, was supposed to come out in September and has already been pulled from the Venice Film Festival, and it's going to come out sometime in 2024, uh, mostly because the actors uh, can't do any promotion for the film for the foreseeable future. And so that's the main reason why things might start getting pushed. There's rumors some of the bigger films like Dune 2 or even the next Marvel film uh, might get pushed as well. That None of that has been confirmed yet, but it's definitely a possibility. The strikes, of course, uh, are the sort of unknown, right? I mean, we don't really know how long both of these strikes, the Writers Guild and sag After, will go on for, and therefore what effect it would have uh, on the pipeline of, of new uh, films coming out. That said, to go back to what we were talking about before, about the uh, uh, studios always wanting to play it safe, might the emergence eventually from these strikes and the willingness to try to do new things make studios want to do new things to try to recoup their losses? I, I think they're definitely going to have to start thinking outside the box and start rethinking things like budgets. Some of these budgets have just ballooned out of control. Uh, the Indiana Jones movie was $300 million, and it's probably going to lose a lot of money. We've kind of seen the loss of that uh, mid-budget film, that, that $30, $40, 50000000 million film that has some stars but doesn't have a massive like action or special effects budget. So uh, Hollywood's going to have to get creative in a number of ways. All right, Andy, thank you again. That's Andy Draper joining us. Andy is the co-host of the podcast Off Script Film Review. He's a staff member at SMU's School of the Arts. Well, coming up a little later in the show, we'll look into whether things really are as good as they seem with the U.S. economy, or is that big R word looming ahead? No, the R word. The R word. We don't want to mention what no. that word is. Not the R word. <laughs> not that. <laughs> right now, the T word, Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, it's not Twitter anymore. The X word. The X word. That's right. It's now now the X word. And we'll try to explain this one. Burton Kelso is a tech and cybersecurity expert. Burton, thanks for being with us. Guys, thanks for having me on as a guest. So why would anybody in their right mind, and maybe that's the answer to my question, why would anybody (laughs) in their right mind take a product and a brand that is as well known throughout the world as Twitter? I mean, it's become part of our lexicon. Let's send a tweet, right? And change it to X. Yeah, that's beyond me as far as why you would change an iconic brand like that. It's almost when it reminds you when IHOP changed their name to burgers as opposed to (laughs) uh, pancakes. But I mean, it's obviously one of those moves that's supposed to elicit more of a response and put a spotlight on Twitter, because obviously uh, Meta's threads has really gained the spotlight in the past month as far as a text based social media platform. So um it's it's obviously making the news people are maybe taking another look at twitter and trying to see what elon musk is up to with the name brand change so it's obviously an attention getter yeah you know the the name twitter i mean i remember when it first came years back like what is this but but it's so ingrained in society now to tweet uh, i mean it's 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 almost like mcdonald's changing its name how are twitter users reacting to this I think the the ones who really care have probably moved over the thread. But I think your hardcore Twitter users are going to stay with the platform for the simple fact that Twitter, or X as it's now called, allows users to post whatever they want to online. When you look at social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, um, now threads, 
then you're looking at a social media platform that has their community standards, which means if people post disparaging stuff on the platform, then you're going to get shut down and maybe wind up in Facebook or Instagram jail. Uh, but platforms like X, you can post whatever you want to, whether it's um, racially charged or just, you know, whatever you want to say on your mind. And I think you're going to have a strong audience of people that will stick with that platform because that's how they view social media, a platform where you can say whatever you want to and there's no repercussions. Uh, from what I understand of what Elon Musk might be ultimately up to, he wants to create, using what was Twitter and is now X, a platform that is more than just a social media platform, right? I mean, he wants to uh, have some place where you can buy items, uh, deal with money, uh, much like some of the social media platforms in China, for example. What would such a platform look like here? Yeah, so that's exactly right that Elon is trying to move to something like WeChat, which is based out of China. I mean, you've got a billion people connected on WeChat, and WeChat offers uh, basically text messaging. You can do video conferencing, video games, mobile uh, mobile payments, um, sharing a photograph and videos, and a lot more. And I think that's the ultimate goal uh, with the word X as opposed to Twitter. But I think you can still do that by using the name Twitter just to, you know, just for the simple fact that it's got that brand. I mean, Facebook has evolved from just being a social media app. And you can even look as far as TikTok, that it went from a dance app to just a video app that's used for everything. So I think the marketing team that may be suggesting this to Elon may be mistaken. I may be mistaken, but I think you can do all of that by keeping the old Twitter word because it's ingrained in our technology mindset and in our social media mindset. Well, Burton, as a cybersecurity expert, as well as a tech expert, tech expert, looking ahead to some of the changes that Elon Musk wants to uh, bring to X, formerly Twitter, what kind of concerns, are there any concerns uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint that you see with, with the moves he wants to make? Well, like most social media platforms, you're always going to have the fake accounts. But I think one of the things that needs to be tackled before they do anything else is to find a better way to get rid of those fake uh, social media accounts and the, the phishing social media accounts, because Twitter is known for that. I mean, if you get on Twitter, you know that at some point the account you're interacting with may be a bot account or a fake account. And I think that needs to be tackled first. But other than that, other than people uh, not in incorporating two-factor authentication and using weak passwords. I mean, there's not much more that Twitter can do, and there's not much of a risk as long as you know how to identify fake accounts and to make sure that you're using secure login procedures when you're accessing your new Twitter slash X account. You know what the biggest question on my mind is? What are they doing with that little bird? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's buried. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's dead. It's dead. The X dead bird. Down and got, they're drawing X's over where the eyes used to be for Twitter. Well, here's what I. Uh, here's what I'm wondering. What are we going to call tweeting now? Xing. Uh, I think it'll probably be tweeting for the time being because if you still go to Twitter.com, it just redirects you to X. And if you look at the website for Twitter, it still says Twitter on there. So I just think the bird icon is is just died out. And I think they're trying to rebrand it to get away from 
I should say also to get away from that negative press that Twitter has attracted as far as being the bot social media platform and just, you know, all the negativity that it's facing right now. Maybe you know the answer to this question because a lot of people have been asking it. When I look at my phone, for example, on the Twitter app, it still is Twitter. Yeah, mine is the same way. And I think once you log out of your account or at some point, Twitter will have to make updates to the app in the app store. And once that happens, then you'll begin to see the change of icons on on your smart devices. It's almost like when Amazon accidentally rolled out the little sticker tag in the middle of the smile where it looked like it was an app from the Third Reich. They had to hurry up and change that. <laughs> but that's, that rollout's going to take a little bit of time. Oh, my goodness. Burton, uh, thank you. Thank you for your perspective. Again, we've been speaking with Burton Kelso, a tech and cybersecurity expert. Right now, though, lawmakers in Israel approving a key part of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's judicial reform plan, this despite massive, massive protests in the country. Uh, Jason Isaacson, Chief Policy and Political Affairs Officer for the American Jewish Committee, joins us now on uh, KNX. Jason, thank you for taking some time for us. First of all, the parliamentary system in Israel, much different than our Congress here. Uh, For people who aren't aware, uh, basically, Describe for us what is so controversial about this reform plan that's led to these protests. Oh, thanks very much for asking. Um, look, you're right by pointing out that they have a different system. It's a it's a unicameral unicameral uh, legislature, not uh, not not two houses the way we have, and it's always the case that the majority in the Knesset is the same party as the executive branch. So you have basically right now. Um, in our country, we have three branches of government. Uh, they have uh, roughly equal competitive powers. There's a checks and balances system. In Israel, you have a judiciary, uh, a high court of justice that is able to override legislation that goes through the Knesset, is able to um, say that certain actions of the executive um, are not reasonable and therefore should not uh, be carried out. Um, the change that is uh, just been passed by the Israeli Knesset on a one-party unilateral uh, basis um, will remove from the judiciary that one tool that it had to uh, counteract to reverse decisions by the government, by the le- legislative branch and the government together, which really, as I said, is is, is a unitary system in, in the way in the way that Israel uh, government uh, is, is structured. So you're weakening the judicial ability to oversee, overrule the government. Now, the judiciary still has other tools, not just this reasonableness standard, which was adopted by the Knesset uh, today, uh, but but it is a weaker um, uh, set of powers that the judicial branch now has, slightly less independence that the judicial branch has. Israel is still very much a democracy, but it is a democracy that has been dinged by this uh, action by the um, by, by, by the party in power. Right. And and as you know, oh, some yeah. s- some of those who are Israelis who are protesting uh, are making the argument that it's more than a ding. It, it's a, a diminishment of the Israeli democracy as we've known it. And that raises the question, uh, Jason, how will this impact uh, aid and and uh, uh, the sort of uh, camaraderie that American Jews have long given Israel since its creation? Um, Look, I wouldn't exaggerate the 
effect that this has on Israel's democracy. Clearly, it, uh, it, it does change the balance of power between the judicial branch and, and, and the government. On the other hand, as I said, the judicial branch still has other tools at its disposal that they can use. Uh, and, and let's face it, look, our country, also a democracy, also has tensions within our system, um, very big challenges to democracy, as we've seen in recent years. Um, the United States is still a democracy. Israel, with its challenges, is still a democracy. There'll be other elections in Israel if it's the will of the Israeli people to reverse the decision that was taken today unilaterally and unfortunately um, by the majority in the Knesset. That can happen in the next election as well. Right. But the question is, is whether you think this is going to impact uh, aid, for example, official government aid from the United States or maybe more importantly, <laughs> private aid that American Jews have long given to Israel. I don't believe that that's the case. Look, you saw um, it was clear the direction that the Knesset was going to go on this. The government is pushing hard. They picked out this one element of a very ambitious, very aggressive judicial overhaul, judicial reform package that they put forward earlier this year. This was the one they passed. But even when it was very clear that this was the direction that the government was going and that the Knesset was going, just the day before President Herzog delivered his historic address before the joint meeting of Congress last week, um, you had an overwhelming vote in the House of Representatives in favor of continued strong U.S. support for Israel, our democratic ally in the Middle East, our most reliable ally in the Middle East. So, yes, there will continue to be criticism of Israel. Israel draws a huge amount of attention, I would say a disproportionate amount of attention. But but compared to its neighbors, compared to other democracies around the world, even our own, um, Israel is, is still safely a democracy, but it will have to work yeah. through this uh, this very contentious debate. Jason, we're a little tight on time. Maybe one last question. Quick answer, if you could. Can Netanyahu's government survive these judicial changes that they want, or will a protest lead to his eventual removal? Uh, look, I believe the government will survive, but I also applaud the um, vibrant spirit of democracy that we've seen in Israel. Um, hundreds of thousands of people out in the streets for 29 weeks. Um, what, However this turns out, Israel will remain a democracy. As I say, there'll be other elections. Also, some of the elements of this very ambitious uh, uh, judicial reform proposal have already been shelved or are likely to be uh, to, to be modified. So okay. this is something that today's action was something we're concerned about appropriately. But Israeli democracy is strong and will survive. Jason, thank you. Jason Isaacson, Chief Policy and Political Affairs Officer for the American Jewish Committee. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Chris Edens, and today for Rob Archer, I'm Charles Feldman. It's the economy, and you're definitely not stupid if you're paying close attention to what's going on these days. The Federal Reserve meets this week and could raise a key interest rate once again to try to control inflation. Now, this comes as our local economy could take a huge hit because of the Hollywood strikes. Here with us now to talk all things economics is Gus Fouché, Chief Economist at PNC Financial Services Group. Gus, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me today. So let's start uh, with the nation, and then we'll whittle ourselves down to Hollywood, um, although probably Hollywood would prefer it the other way around. But uh, are we, in your view, safely away from, from the possibility of recession land, or is it still a, a real 
possibility. You know, I, I do think that a recession is a real threat. We're not going to see one in the next few months. The job market remains good. Consumers continue to spend. But I do expect that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates by another quarter of a percentage point when they meet next week. Those higher rates, they've gone up dramatically over the past year or two, uh, really are starting to weigh on the economy. The drag will increase. So I expect that we will get a mild recession by late 2023 or early 2024. Yeah, those higher rates are kind of a double-edged sword because obviously if you want to buy a home, buy a car, you're going to pay a little bit more. But then you've got people like my father who say, you know, the last number of years have really hurt. I was expecting rates to be higher when I retired. You get more interest on my money. That's right. But overall, they're in negative. The Fed tries to cool off the economy, to slow inflation by raising rates. Uh, It's had some impact so far. We have seen inflation come down somewhat, but it's still too high from the Fed's perspective. And so I think that we will see a further drag on growth from those higher rates as we move through the rest of 2023. And just from a perspective standpoint, the rates, while they're going up, they're still relatively low compared to what we've seen in past years. I mean, I, I remember getting a mortgage back in, I think it was 2009, and I had 5 point something percent. Yeah, no, there's there's no question that all rate, although rates are much higher than they were a couple of years ago, they, they are significantly lower than they were back in the 1990s or the 1980s. Um, but they are having an impact, and we will see that drag continue to accumulate in the near term. You know, as you know, there has been this long debate about whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to successfully bring the country in for a so-called soft landing. And historically, uh, as you also know, their track record is not exactly stellar in that area. Do you think they finally will achieve that goal? Uh, I think it's going to be tough. I think there's probably about a 60% chance we get a recession, about a 40% chance we get a soft landing. And even if we do get a soft landing, it's still going to mean weaker job growth, the rising unemployment rate, and, and slow overall economic growth. But I do think the most likely outcome is, given what we've seen from the Fed so far, what we expect from the Fed from the in the near future, that we will get a mild recession, uh, certainly much uh, milder than what we experienced with the COVID pandemic or back in the Great Recession in 2007-2008. Gus, for the most part, the economic numbers look good, but we see polls showing that people are quite worried. Why such a disconnect? I think it's a couple of things. I think, first of all, there is a lot of talk in the media about recession, and people are paying higher interest rates. There's no question that if you're trying to buy a home or trying to buy a car, it's more expensive to do that. The other thing is is that people remain very concerned about inflation. Uh, Although inflation is slowed, it's much higher than what we're used to over the past 15 or 20 years or so. Uh, You know, people saw food prices go up. They saw energy prices go up. They saw uh, house prices go up. And so I think that that is still affecting people's perceptions of the economy in mid-2023. The the timing that you mentioned for a possible uh, uh, mild, I think is how you put it, recession 2023 to 2024, is a very critical time, of course, because depending on where in that spectrum it falls, we may be right smack in the middle of a presidential election, and people do tend to vote the economy, or at least their own economy. Um, Do you think that 
it, that is going to play a huge, maybe a, a, a too big a role in politics? Uh, I won't say whether it's too big a role or not, but historically it has been tougher for incumbents during periods when the economy is in recession. On the other hand, I don't think there's any question but that President Biden's numbers have been hurt by high inflation. So, uh, you know, I think if you're in the Biden administration, you want to bring inflation down, but at the same time you're concerned about the potential for a recession uh, that, you know, could be wrapping up, let's say, close to the time of the, the 2024 election. You know, Gus, a lot of people aren't happy that we're paying more for everything from eggs, although egg prices have come down for gas. Well, you name it. Uh, Prices are up kind of across the board. The Biden administration will argue that, okay, we're trying to control that, but at least people are working. Um, From that standpoint, from employment, we're doing well. Could a recession lead to to a lot of layoffs? Um, We typically see layoffs during a recession. We typically see a higher unemployment rate. That being said, I think this time around, layoffs, if we do get a recession, are likely to be smaller. I think businesses have been through a period of the past few years where they've had difficulty in finding workers. Uh, And so I think they're going to be concerned about laying people off and then not being able to rehire again once the economy picks up. So although we will see job losses, we will see a slightly higher unemployment rate if we do get a recession. I think compared to past recessions, uh, the downturn in the labor market is going to be pretty mild. Gus, let me, uh, we were talking in the last segment about the possibilities of a mild recession. Let me throw a wild card into the equation other than inflation, for example, or what the Fed does or doesn't do. And that's uh, artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. AI, which is uh, expanding at a a pace much more rapidly, I think, than many people thought it would. And it is leading to considerable concern, rightly or wrongly, about the loss of jobs. Does that play into uh, any kind of a forecast about the loss of jobs in the not-too-distant future? I think that's more of a long-term issue. I wouldn't expect AI to have much of an impact on the labor market over the next few years. I think longer-term AI makes workers overall more productive. We're going to be able to produce more, but at the same time, there are going to be job losses associated with that. And the question is, how do we have these technological advances, but make sure that people who are displaced by those continue to to, to do well? And this has been a recurring theme in the U.S. economy with the mechanization of agriculture, with increasing uh, manufacturing productivity and so forth. So it isn't a new story. It's just in a kind of a a different package. Mm. Yeah, we, we all know that there's there's a lot of things that artificial intelligence can do to really help society, but there are an awful lot of concerns, not just in Hollywood, but in so many other industries about uh, the future of artificial intelligence and, and the cost to the job market. What sector, sectors of the industry would you see as most concerning uh, with the emergence of AI and as it continues to to roll out? Uh, You know, one of the things that um, I think about is transportation, for example. What happens to truck drivers when we have self-driving trucks and we, you know, we replace all those truck drivers? That's a good occupation for people with a high school degree. Uh, You know, they can make good wages, uh, but we're just not going to need as many truck drivers. Uh, You think about a lot of customer service people and they're being replaced by technology. And again, I think these are kind of uh, workers with less formal education and we need to make sure that we have programs in place to help these people learn the skills that are going to be needed for the 21st century. Hollywood, uh, Chris mentioned, I think, the word just before in passing, Hollywood. Hollywood. Uh, And AI is playing a role in both the uh, Writers Guild strike and the SAG-AFTRA strike. 
But what I'm interested in is the impact on the economy here in Southern California uh, already. And also if these strikes, as some people predict, might go on for quite a number of more months. Yeah, so we've seen little impact in the data so far. Uh, but that being said, I think now with the, the, the actors out on strike that that hit is going to multiply. And it's going to cause direct job losses, but it's also going to cause indirect job losses. You think about all the ancillary services, the catering that are associated with, with the production, and those are going to start to to decline. Um, and then you're going to see people start to cut back on their spending, people who are associated with the industry. So they're going to go out to dinner less. Uh, they're going to be traveling traveling less. And so I think as the strike goes on, uh, I think the hit to the area is going to multiply, and it's going to be much more than just the direct impact from the actors or the writers themselves, but it's going to be those ancillary industries as well. Tens of of billions of dollars in aggregate? Yeah, no, I think we're we're talking, yes, billions of dollars uh, hit to to the local economy. Yeah, and so much of the Hollywood machine is different now compared to in, in past negotiations over over contracts. Big big part of that, not only AI, is is the strength of streaming these days. In that the model for getting residuals is so much different now than it was before. Uh, absolutely, and I think that you know certainly the 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 writers, the actors are very concerned about that uh, with what's going on with streaming services and so forth. And we're seeing big technological changes in the industry, uh, and I think a strike is a reflection of that until we get a better sense of what it's going to look like ten or twenty years in the future. I, I want to circle back to uh, when we, you were just talking about AI and that uh, people will lose jobs. I mean, it's inevitable. You mentioned, I think, truck drivers, some uh, salespeople perhaps at retail uh, outlets. Outlets. What do you train those people to do? Because I keep reading people saying, well, they'll have to be trained to do other things. Like what? Um, you know, I, there's going to be increasing demand for health care, for example, from an increasing, a, increasingly aging population. Um, I do think that overall these types of things will uh, allow uh, many consumers more disposable income. Uh, so, you know, they're going to want to do ex- what we call experiences. And so they're going to, you know, um, uh, uh, adventures, that kind of thing. And I still I think that there are going to be opportunities there. So, I mean, that's part of the issue with these kinds of technological advances. They create opportunities, but we're not quite sure yet what they're going to be. But uh, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, those opportunities will be there in the future and that we will need the workers to take advantage of that. All right. Gus, thank you so much for stopping by the studio today. We've talked many times before, but it's great to have you in person. Thank you very much. Again, Gus Fauchet uh, joining us uh, in studio today on KNX In-Depth, Chief Economist at PNC Financial Services Group. That'll do it for today's show. Again, Rob's off today. I'll be back in again tomorrow with Charles. Another day off for for Rob. He'll be back later in the week. This is KNX In-Depth. We're back tomorrow.